That's an important question. Who are you? I think that visit video resonates with a lot of us because it, it represents our lives. We have so many roles that we end up playing so often. Uh, we live in a world that, that demands a lot of things from us. It demands, bye y'all. <clears throat> it's weird because you know, most of the time they're the ones who I'm with and kid um but that again uh, so many demands are placed on us we we have so many expectations that that the world puts on us we we all have to be in a place playing a role at any given time in our day with expectations parents place expectations on children Jobs, employers place expectations on their employees to be a place at a time, to do a thing. Spouses place expectations on one another. Society in general just places expectations on us. It's, it's part of the world we live in. But we have to remember that everybody is living up to some sort of expectation. Everybody is living up to a comparison in one way or another. So I want you guys to settle in. We're going to be in John chapter 7 here in just a few minutes. But before I get there, I want to tell you guys a story. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad came home from work one day, and um, we got called to the front of the house. And when I got up there, I'd already gone through the death of my grandfather, so I'd experienced one of those conversations where mom or dad's standing up in the living room, everybody else is sitting on the couch, and, and you know, I, I knew my role at that point was to sit on the couch. Dad was standing there kind of like this. Mom and my sister were already on the couch. So I sat down, and there was the, the awkward pause. And dad looks at the wall in the living room and he points at it and says, who colored on the wall? Nobody answers. He says, I'm going to say it again. Who colored on the wall? He's looking right at us, looking through us. <clears throat> and he says, look, are y'all deaf? Can you, not, can you not hear me? What's, what's going on? Who colored on the wall? And he says, I'm going to ask it one more time. And if I don't get my answer, I'm going to beat all three of you. That was back when you could still say that. And then, <laughs> anyway, um, my mom was there. So he goes through the list. He looks at me and says, boy, he, he would call me that every now and then. Call me boy, call my sister girl. He points at the wall and says, boy, did you, did you color on the wall? No, no, sir. He looks at my sister and says, girl, did you, did you color on the wall? And she goes, no, sir. And he looks at my mom and says, well, Donna, did you do it? And she goes, no. <clears throat> so he says, okay, to your rooms. Um, then the next morning, we're, we're driving to school. My dad always took us to school because my school was on his way to work. The timing just worked out pretty well. I'm sitting at, on the passenger door of a short bed, single cab, 1970 Chevy pickup truck. He's driving, and my sister's between us, and we cross this bridge, and my sister starts to giggle. <laughs> I, I kind of look over at her, and I'm like, what is wrong with her? But that wasn't an abnormal thing you know, in our family. My dad's looking down at her going, what's, what's wrong with her? 
And she just keeps giggling. So eventually my dad, he, you know, he's got this confused look on his face, and he, he says, girl, what are you laughing at? And she says, I did it. And now 14 hours has passed. My, I wasn't thinking about it. My dad wasn't thinking about it. He's like, you did what? And she says, I colored on the wall. And now I'm like, you know, I could open the door and throw her out kind of thing. But my dad, he's still looking confused. He looks at her and he goes, why are you telling me now? And she says, I just wanted to see you spank Tyler. (laughs) That was a, a defining moment in our relationship as siblings. Siblings have struggles. They have, have things, even the best of sibling relationships sometimes have struggles. If none other than the, there's one older, there's one more talented in some area of life, and there's that comparison. Again, we've got comparison and expectation that comes along with life. It's natural. It's part of who we are. But I got to thinking about this and said, I wonder how challenging it must have been to be a sibling of Jesus. Mary gets done baking cookies. They're sitting, you know, and she comes back in, and there's one missing. She sits all the kids down. Jesus is just kind of over here by himself, and everybody else she's looking at going, who took it? And they're all quiet. Same conversation we had with with my dad. she, She skips Jesus. She doesn't even, she knows she doesn't have to, did you do it? No, they know he didn't do it. It's, it's, in, it's in this group right here. What expectation was on the siblings of Jesus? We're going to go through that today. We're going we're to work through that. Our goal is to find our identity in Christ. Must have been a, a major struggle for some of Jesus' siblings to have their identity with him beside them. But we live in a world right now where identity is, is, is fluid. You can be asked that question, what do you identify as? And if you're filling out something online, you click the drop-down box, and it gets longer, it seems, every time I have to do one of these things. Sometimes, you know, we introduce ourselves, and our identity is based on our family. In the last couple of weeks, I had to go to a family funeral, and it was easier for some of my older family members to identify me my identity was in the fact that I was Dave's grandson or Donna's son. That's how they knew me. In modern United States, we tend to identify ourselves based on occupation and accomplishments. When people want to know who you are, what you do, what makes you, what your, your psyche and your character, what drives those things, I'm a pastor, I'm a teacher, I'm an accountant, I, I do this, I do that. The, the, the accomplishments, everybody still recognizes the high school football star from their high school. He may still be wearing his letter jacket, but everybody remembers that guy based on his accomplishments. That's who he is. You go to a class reunion, you can't remember his name, but you go, you are the quarterback. That's, that's his identity. That's part of the world that we live in, our culture. But in biblical times, that family thing was a major, major part of identity. I just said that it must have been a struggle to be a family member of Jesus, to have that be 
tied to your identity. But we're going to look at James today because he was a brother of Jesus and see the, the struggle that happened between him and Jesus because it's in Scripture. We know it happened. So again, I, I said first we're going to start at John chapter 1. I'm reading from John chapter 7, excuse me. I'm starting at verse 1. After this, this, this after this, the this that it's referring to there is the Jesus growing his disciples. He's, he's started his ministry. He's got followers coming along, but some of them decided to leave. Some of them, they decided they weren't about that life, and, and they separated from him. So after this, Jesus went, went around in Galilee. He did not want to go to Judah because the Jewish leaders there were looking for a way to kill him. Remember that. His brothers are going to come back to it in a second. But when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave Galilee and go to Judah. He did, Jesus didn't want to go to Judah because there were people trying to kill him, and his brothers are going, Go to Judah. They kept going so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you were doing these things, his brothers certainly knew the things. If they didn't see them themselves, they at least knew of them. Miracles, signs, wonders, the preaching that he was doing, all of those sorts of things. They said, since you were doing these things, show yourself to the world. And here we see the conflict. For even your own brothers did not... For even his own brothers did not believe in him... Conflict and sibling rivalry is, is part of what they were dealing with. It was part of, of that. We deal with it, and, and Jesus dealt with it. Brothers and sisters, brothers and brothers, sisters and sisters, don't always get along, don't always trust one another. It was happening within Jesus' family. His brothers and sisters didn't trust him. I'm turning back to Matthew chapter 13. In this situation, we're going to see Jesus' family involved again but this time there's doubters outside of the family that turn inward to the family and, and kind of attack Jesus' family. Starting at verse 53, when Jesus had finished these parables, he's been out teaching. The, the entire section prior to this is, is a string of, uh, uh, it's a longer string of parables. But he, he finished the parables. He moved on from there coming to his hometown. So he's back in a place where people know him. He's back in a place where he's familiar, back in a place with people he grew up with. He began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this guy come from? They're going, he looks like the guy we remember. He looks, he looks like we know him. But what, 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 what is this? This is, this is something new. This is something different. Who's this guy? They ask this question, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? So there's, there we see his, his family introduced. The next thing that's going to happen is we see the, the entire list of the family. They all knew him. They knew, we suspect that Joseph was dead by that point because they didn't list his name, but they listed everybody else's names except for the sisters. Is it his mother's name, Mary? And aren't his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, aren't all his sisters with us? 
where then did this man get all these things? So what, what we've got going on is Jesus comes back. He's in his hometown. They recognize him. They know him. He was a familiar face. And his family's familiar. We know the sisters are there. So they're hearing this entire conversation of people they know. This, this, this getting stabbed in the back by, by neighbors. And they say, these are, that's just the, it's the carpenter's family. Isn't that his son? His mother's just Mary. Those are, those are his brothers and sisters. They're nothing special. Isn't that them? And he's doing all of this, this stuff? So we've got not only Jesus being doubted, we've got his family being kind of ridiculed, kind of going, they're, they're just plain. There's nothing abnormal about them. How's he so spectacular? And we know for a fact that the town that Jesus grew up in, Nazareth, the town he was from, was not expected for, for much. When Jesus was gathering his disciples, he was calling the apostles, he's going around doing that. We, we find this interaction between some of them. It said, Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathaniel's next comment is a stab to his hometown. Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? So Jesus' family, he himself is doubted. His family is, is ridiculed as plain. The Messiah can't come from plain, plainness. The town he's from is plain. There's nothing spectacular about the family in anyone else's eyes. So, so far, what we know about James is this. He's the brother of Jesus. He's from Nazareth, where nobody important comes from, evidently. He's skeptical of his big brother, and he's not one of the twelve. He was certainly probably around Jesus' ministry, at least portions of it, but he wasn't in the inner circle. I want to take a look next at James a little deeper. In order to do that, what I want to do is I want to, I want to see his conversion experience. Let's see how he developed a faith walk. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul will explain that to us. Paul will also explain to us in Galatians chapter 1 and chapter 2 how... James's faith walk matured, how he grew and, and became a leader in the church. We'll, we'll see that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is where I'm headed. Starting at verse 3, Paul wrote, For what I received I passed on. This is the gospel. As we read the next couple of verses is Paul literally explaining the thing that he passed on. This is the gospel in, the, in a nutshell. This is the resurrection story. It's Easter. It's the story we, we so often read about and, and share with our children at Easter. 
Paul had given his own conversion experience, and now he's explaining this situation in which James's conversion experiences is revealed. So for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Caiaphas. So we're going to keep reading over and over that he appeared. He appeared and it is the, it's pointing to Jesus as the resurrected Christ. It's pointing to him, his actions after the resurrection. And this list of people is a list that establishes credibility to the story. It's a list of witnesses is what it is. So the first one is he appeared to Caiaphas. That's Peter who would have had a a ton of remorse because of his denial of Jesus earlier that week. Then to the 12, so you've got all of the church leaders, Jesus' closest followers, those are the ones he appeared to first. Judas is not, it says the 12, Judas was dead at that point. We, um, the... The 12 is kind of a, um, a generalized term in, in this context. So he appears to all those leaders. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. That 500 is important too because if witness testimony has been used since, since major civilization, since people have been doing trials and, and, and those sorts of things, to determine fact in a situation. When you've got 500 people who can sit down in a room and said, yes, I saw it, and all of our stories collaborate, it's the same thing. That establishes truth. The fact that Jesus appeared to 500 people, and he, he said most of them are still living, some have fallen asleep, that establishes the factual nature of Jesus being resurrected from the dead and appearing in front of people who saw him and can testify to the fact that they saw him. Then he appeared to James. James was his brother. James was a skeptic. And James needed to see Jesus. He needed to see the man that he recognized, he had grown up with, he'd known him his whole life. A few days earlier, he was dead, having hung on a cross. And James saw him. And what happens through the rest of his life is impacted by the fact that he saw him because he was no longer just my brother. We're headed to Galatians now. It's two books away from 1 Corinthians. You got 2 Corinthians and then Galatians. And we're going to see the impact that this situation that, that James seeing Jesus alive had on him. So Galatians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. Then after three years, that's the time it took for Paul to do his ministry training. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Caiaphas and stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James. Paul's, 
Paul's word usage there, the phrases he used there, I saw is super important. I saw none of the other apostles, only James. It would have meant something totally different if he had said, I saw none of the apostles, only James. Because he said other apostles, it's including James in the list of apostles. So if we look at this situation, Paul's conversion, it was roughly four to six years after Pentecost, after the the arrival of the Holy Spirit. He takes three years to go train. If we just, between that four and six, and we're just going to call it five, split it right in the middle to give some leeway. So five plus three is eight. So if we say eight years have passed since the Holy Spirit arrived, eight years has passed And James has gone from skeptic to apostle. Something big happened in this dude's life. His identity changed. The way the world saw him was changing. And then if we look at Galatians chapter 2, I'm going to read uh, verses 8 and 9. We're going to see Paul back in Jerusalem and how much James had changed then. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Caiaphas, and John, those esteemed as pillars. A pillar is a, is a foundational piece. It's a, it, it supports the things above it. it. It ties it all together. It keeps everything from crumbling. James is among... These that, that, that Paul is saying, hold the church up. They keep the church from crumbling. You see, Galatians was written to a church that struggled with Judaizers. Those are um, those are people who try to put rules and, and, and laws in, our, in faith. In order to be righteous, you have to do this. They were pushing this new church in Galatia to believe all these things. You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to do this. You have to do that. Paul was writing to help that church understand that that these legalists weren't helping them. So what Paul did here was he name-dropped. He used a list of names of, of Jewish people, Jewish believers, that these Judaizers would have known. Those three men commissioned Paul to go as the apostle to the Gentiles. They're the ones that said, yes, do this. We're sending you. Go. And all these Judaizers would have gone, oh, well, he knows James. That's, that's kind of a, a big deal. It's not just a big deal because he knows him. I'll get to that in just a second. But they were esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they received the grace, when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. There's Paul's commission. He was sent, he was supported by, by these Jews in these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. If we look back at verse 1 of that chapter, it says 14 years later. So the amount of time that's passed 
since Pentecost is a long time, but it's been another 20 years or so between Paul's first, first trip to Jerusalem where he met with, with Peter, he met with James, and then another five or so years to writing this letter. So you've got another 20 years between his, his, his meeting James and him writing this letter. James has gone from skeptic to apostle to pillar of the church. Knock out a pillar of, of some building that stands on pillars and it, it starts to crumble. It starts to lean and eventually will fall. James was that significant in the church, and Paul recognized it. But here's, here's another interesting fact, context kind of fact, that helps, helps us understand the significance of this. Galatia and Jerusalem were a, a fair distance apart. It was 600 miles in a straight line. The, the route that they had to travel, it was roughly about 700 that they actually had to go because they had to go around a body of water. For us, 700 miles in, in 2021, if we were to go get in our air-conditioned vehicles outside, we would drive for eight and a half-ish, nine hours, depending on how heavy your foot is and how small your bladder is. We would roughly nine hours, we'll call it. Um, that number really doesn't matter anymore because we're not going to do any math other than to say in the first century, it would have taken about a month. <clears throat> And they didn't have emails and cell phones or even fax machines. So somebody in Jerusalem gets some information and they want to share it with the church in Galatia. So they get a, a messenger who carries that message. They go over here, they share it. The church in Galatia has a question about it. So that person then turns around and they go back to Jerusalem. Now two months has passed back and forth back and forth. Now there's 20 years of this. A significant amount of information could have passed, but this isn't like you emailing me and introducing yourself and me, me replying and introducing myself and we can just ask questions and 30 minutes later, we know a lot about one another. This takes years to happen. And 600 miles away, people knew James who were kind of combative against Paul and, and the church. They were, they were people who, who I, I don't want to call them outright enemies, but they certainly weren't friends. They wouldn't have been, been just looking to see James, to, to want to follow James. You're popular. We want to follow you. We, we want to we you know, keep up with you. You want to follow your Instagram or something. They couldn't do that. They wouldn't have done that. But they knew who he was. His reputation was preceding him. But let's look at the man himself. Let's look at James chapter 1. And we'll, we'll wrap it up after this. James, a servant of God. We'll just stop right there. We know that James is Jesus' brother. We know that he's a normal guy by birth. We know that he was skeptical. We know that he saw the resurrected Christ. We know 
He was converted. We know he became an apostle. We know he was a pillar in the church. We know he was respected. And he doesn't reference himself as anything other than a servant. Brother turned servant. James grew up in Jesus' shadow. When that cookie went missing, Mary went to James, not Jesus, because she knew. In reality, my sister grew up in my shadow. We've, we've talked about this now. We actually have a decent relationship. But she got me spanked deliberately. She took a spanking to get me spanked deliberately. I don't walk into a room and go, hey, y'all, I'm her, sis- her brother. I don't do that. That's not how I introduce myself. I might walk into a room and say, hey, I'm Tyler. That's my sister. But it's not going to be the other way around. I'm not going to do that. Something happened with James and Jesus where he did that. I'm a servant of I'm not, I'm not the brother. He could have introduced himself so many ways. I, James the apostle. I, James the brother of Jesus. Name dropping him. I, the, the pillar of the church. I, this, I, that. And he didn't. In our society, we have, we have signature blocks on our emails that tell everybody who we are. We have business cards that we hand out that lists every certification and degree and, and you know, that we, when we stayed at the Holiday Inn Express. Everything's on it. You get pulled over by a police officer in a, in a town that you know another police officer, you're going to drop a name. you go, I, hey, you know um, so-and-so? And just try to get out of a ticket. That's, that's what we do. Or, or heaven forbid it be somebody important that gets pulled over because the officer's going to walk up the car, you know who I am? <clears throat> I will when you sign this. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's the way it goes. We, we want to be important. Our identity is in those things. And James is showing us something different, though he could have. He did not. His identity was not in the things that impress men. His identity was in Christ. His identity was in God. He found who he was when he put Christ first. He said, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. The 12 tribes, those are Jewish believers. They're people who knew him. And they're scattered. They're, and this isn't among the nations. This isn't scattered to the next province. This isn't 600 miles. It takes a couple months, but we can share some messages back and forth. This is, this is years of journeying kind of stuff. This is, the gospel's been going on for 30, for 30 years. Churches are growing. These people know who James is. He doesn't have to introduce himself any further because his actions, his character, and who he was preceded the letter. They knew who he was. His character told his story. So all he had to do was the simple thing, I'm a servant of God. So 
So what? What do we do with this? Where, 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 do, we, where do we take this? It only can be a preacher who can um, really preach about one verse, but then take all of this time to give you the context, to, to use one verse to say he was a brother that was probably like grumpy to Jesus, and now he's a servant to his brother, and that's a big swing, right? What can we do with this? Ask the question about your identity. Simply, is your identity in Christ? Or does society tell you who you are? Does your family tell you who you are? Does your job tell you who you are? What is it that defines you? What is it that, that, that you identify yourself with? You might be a, a normal person from a normal town. You might be the person who, who you had a rough childhood. You might be the person who you, you never heard anything positive growing up. All you heard was negatives. Your identity doesn't have to stay in those things. James's identity was not stuck in the past. His identity was based on an encounter with the risen Lord. Your identity can be based on the fact that God knows you and has a plan and a purpose for your life. To be a light in your community. To share that light with other people. The second thing, another question here, is do you have to tell others who you are? When you introduce yourself, how do you do it? Do you have to say, I'm a Christian? I am a member of Grace Community Church. I am this, I am that. Do you have to say those things? Or do people know you? Do people recognize you by your reputation? Does it precede you? Do your, does your character tell the, your story? Does your character resemble Jesus' character? If you were to write an email today, would you have to put, I'm a pastor, I'm a small group leader, I'm a, a, a volunteer coordinator, I'm a this, I'm a that, for your email to, to gain some momentum, for it to have some clout? Or does your character mean something? Third question, if you are skeptical, we want you to know that an encounter with Christ will change everything. If that's you, use the communication card. Drop it in one of these the boxes on your, on your way out. Um, Pastor Mike and I would love to have a conversation with you. We'd love to, to, to sit down and talk with you. There's, I, can, I, can, I can share, you're not alone. We'd love to sit down with you. So how do, we, how, do we get, how do we close this? In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote that we're new creations. Here at Grace, our identity in Christ, how, how we, we form our identity, how we become those new creations that, that God's calling us to be is this. Small groups, smaller groups. If you've been thinking about, if you've been invited to, if you want one, Stop thinking about it and do it. Take the initiative and engage your faith walk. Engage that yourself. Personal Bible study, all these plus one things. Personal Bible study. 
engage it. If you're not letting God tell you who your identity is, the whispers of the world are going to. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of James and Jesus. We thank you for uh, James's major identity change, for recognizing that an encounter with Jesus changes everything. But we pray that people realize when they come to church, that's what it is. It is an encounter with Jesus. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, Grace, y'all have a great week. We'll see you next time.